This podcast is brought to you by Trivelo Coaching, where we help triathletes and cyclists like you train smarter to race faster. I'm your host, Jordan Donnelly, and on my left is former Australian Ironman champion and head coach of Trivelo Coaching, Jared Donnelly. Today on the podcast, we have a, rec- a recurring guest that we've had a few times, a very good friend of Travella now, and that is Brenton Ford from Effortless Swimming. Uh, Brenton and Effortless Swimming are world leaders in swimming coaching uh, online, got one of the biggest swimming coaching channels on YouTube, and uh, and as a uh, business, they actually have access to such a vast range of uh, swimmers, age group swimmers, pro swimmers, elite swimmers, uh, that they have experienced and seen how to improve uh, their swimming technique and swimming times and for that reason it's why we absolutely love Brenton why we love having him on the podcast and getting his advice on the best things that he's seeing uh, that what can help improve you the fastest and the really the best bang for your buck in terms of swim changes and technique changes so uh, another great chat with Brenton today dad we really always enjoy it yeah he's uh he's a fantastic uh, coach and um, I'm learning so much from him and all the listeners and those who have been through his clinics um, um, from, from from the Trivalo point of view are suing better than they ever have. And he gives us again some nuggets. We really uh, hone in on some uh, really key aspects of uh, drills and technique and, um, you know, really important things that uh, the listeners should be implementing into their swimming uh, training and and it's full of it so i'm i'm really excited to to hear what uh he uh the nuggets that he imparts on everybody uh in this episode so it was you know it's it's, it's really one worth uh if you want to improve your swimming this is something you should be listening to absolutely without further ado here is brenton ford from effortless swimming Brenton, welcome back to the podcast for, I think, a third time now. Uh, You've been a very busy man over summer now that uh, COVID lockdowns have finally ended. You've been doing a lot of clinics. Uh, You've been seeing a lot of people and you get the uh, chance to see a wide range of athletes. So, we want to know straight off the bat, uh, especially recently over this whole summer of doing a lot of clinics, what are the common patterns that you're seeing uh, at clinic and what are the common things that you're seeing that people could uh, really learn to improve on straight away just from what you observe? Yeah, it's it's fairly similar that it's been the last couple of years. But what I normally find is it's not a matter of effort for a lot of triathletes. You know, and a lot of them are putting in, in the effort in the pool as long as they're in the water a couple of times a week. It's more just a matter of uh, there's some technical things there that are that are holding them back. And I think one of the first ones that, that I see, one of the most common ones is the timing of it, is the ability to just be a little bit patient out the front with the arms as they're reaching forwards. Uh, so many people are just used to spinning the spinning their arms over and starting to catch really soon. So I, I think having that that trust in yourself to give yourself a little bit of time in the in the reach phase so that you've always got something in in front of you. And I know for triathletes, they're not looking to have this long Ian Thorpe sort of stroke necessarily, but um, too many of them are just dropping straight down. So they just never make the most of that most efficient position uh, when the arm's out in front. So I'd, I'd often start there is just looking to try and get front quadrant, meaning always having something something out in front. I mean, you guys probably see that a bit too, don't you? When you, even if you go to the pool and watch a few people swimming, it's uh, it's a pretty common one. Well, why is that? Why is that necessarily a problem? Not being um, 
you know, front dominant and having something out there all the time? Uh, it's a problem because it throws off the timing because if you've already moved your arm down and you've completed your catch uh, early, then it's not very well connected with the rest of your body. So you, normally your, your hips and your shoulders will still be on the side and the arm's already completed the catch. And so there's no connection from your arm to, to your body. And in, in swimming, I mean, in, all, in everything, we've got to be uh, connected and a big part of that is the timing. So if you can take that little bit of time reaching forwards out in front, then it gives you that little bit more time to then start rotating your, your body back into the other direction. So by the time your arm's in that in that catch position, which is where you start to really apply more force and power, well then it's going to be connected up with your with your actual body. Because if you're just pulling through and it's not connected to your body, well, it's just kind of wasted, wasted effort. So that's why you can see someone swimming so quickly uh, and, and making it look so easy. It's because their timing of the stroke is uh, is is very good. One of the things that I've noticed in a lot of the video analysis is if you can see the difference between a really good pro swimmer and just a, an average an average guy or girl who's in the water really trying to improve is there's if you slow the, the footage down, there's sections where there's nothing in front of their head. There's, yeah. no, there's no actual arm in front of their head. So they're actually, up, you know, half a second where you're leading with your head. Is, is that something that's common that you see in the video analysis? Yeah, we've got groups like we keep it to six people per clinic and there's times where four or five of those people will not be in the front quadrant at a certain point in their in their stroke. So it's a really it's a really common one. So uh, like a good trigger word or, or cue for that I think can be fingers to the front. So when you enter, just think, okay, I want to get my fingers to the front, pointing to the front of the, the pool before you start moving your arm, arm down. And it's good to go back and forth like – do too much glide, too much catch up, and then do no glide whatsoever, and then just find that sweet spot in between. I think it's really good to be able to contrast the yeah too much of it, too little of it, and then find that sweet spot. But oftentimes people don't uh, allow themselves to experiment uh, enough with those things, um, or, or maybe make mistakes and go too far one way, and you, know, you just give yourself permission to do that. It, it's uh, it's a good way to to find that balance. What would be the gold standard? Because when you, like you're saying, when you look at the pros and how easy it looks because of their timing, it doesn't look like they're hanging out there at all. They're basically hitting and then bang, they're, they're straight back and their stroke rate looks quite high. But uh, mm. for the average punter, you try that and you're kind of thrashing around a bit or you're gliding too long and you're actually uh, yeah, going a little bit too far. So, so how do you actually get to that sweet spot and... Uh, how, are the, how are the pros doing it and making it look so easy? Yeah, there's, it's different for each person. And, and to be fair, like not all elite swimmers are front quarter in every stroke. Like if you look at uh, Gregorio Paltrinieri, who won the 1500 at uh, 2016 Olympics, he, he's not front quadrant. He's just off it on one side. Um, but the other side, he's got, he's got really good timing. Now, you wouldn't necessarily want – to train, you know, to train that in someone or, or teach that in, in someone. But there are certainly exceptions there. But most of those you know, good swimmers are front quadrant, even if it is just a just a little bit. So you can have a stroke rate of 90 strokes a minute, which for those listening, that's, that's quick. It's really quick. Um, and you can still be in that, that front quadrant. So it's quite a, a small amount of time spent reaching forwards. But um, it's, yeah, it's... Uh, it doesn't look like much, but it's just got to be enough, really. That's that's all we're sort of looking for. The timing question that you raised, that is the key, isn't it, really? It's all about getting things 
in the right uh, order and spending enough time and not too much time with each sector of the stroke. And we're trying to be really analytical here um, and not too analytical that we're confusing the people listening, but the timing is one of the key things that's going to improve your speed, isn't it? Yeah, and I I think one of the... Uh, the ideas we brought up last time on the call was that slow to fast for most people they probably come into swimming they don't sort of know the idea of your movements being should be slow to fast and for a lot of people that can be the thing that will help them get to that next level so when you reach forwards you go through your catch that should be a little bit slower than you are at the back because once you've gone through your catch well then you should accelerate through the stroke a bit and finish a bit quicker out the out the back again not too much but a little bit of that slow to fast and that's when you actually get this really good hold of the water if you're just gradually accelerating through and i've had swimmers that i work with just online with our stroke analysis and sometimes they finish really slow out the back and like they, they slow down and there's just no momentum generated there's no propulsion really that generated there but as soon as they make that change to accelerate through they're like oh my god okay i get it like they could have perfect shapes and technique and you know, movements in the water but if they're not actually accelerating through well they're not gonna they're not gonna feel much from it oh is that the same principle uh in terms of that when you're thinking about slow to fast um where you want to, like you were saying before, with trying to overglide for a little bit um, before you come back to that sweet spot, is the same thing, try and go really quite slow and then really quite fast to exaggerate that uh, slow to fast approach um, and then practice getting that sweet spot. Is that what you recommend? Yeah, it's, yeah play, play around with it. And it's, it's, quite, uh, yeah, it's quite minimal, the, the difference in, in speed as you go through it. And you don't want to have, <clears throat> like sometimes... Like we talk about the power phase in swimming is really it's like once you've finished your catch and you're kind of moving your hands under the under the shoulders, that's when you see this peak in in force. So sometimes people will just try and like really just force that so like they'll muscle their way through that part. But good swimming isn't uh, isn't overly you're not overexerting yourself at any point through the stroke. So, um, but it, it is good to just like practice that, and then it, it can help you find that that middle ground. It's. Uh really obvious when you see a 40 kilogram young 12 year old swimmer with no strength and muscle absolutely get the timing right and there's a guy who's next in the lane just got all the muscles that he you know the beach muscles but but it's all to do with the timing and the technique isn't it that you just can't brutalize the stroke and it's proven with the fact that you know young kids have no developed muscle uh, like an adult Yet they can swim yeah. so fast. I, I, I get quite a few people who will, uh, they'll come to a clinic because they're frustrated that they're not getting quicker and they might be really fit, but they've, they're getting lapped by someone who's either like very overweight at the pool, <laughs> got a big, big gut, um, or young kids who are you know, half, their, half their size. It's that, it's that frustration of um, like, I know that I'm fitter, I'm stronger than the next person, but why aren't I going as fast? And it's just, yeah, it's all about um, technique and, and that efficiency of, of movement. And when you watch someone do anything well, whether it's running or riding or, or swimming or surfing, like the, the movements are very – uh, there's not a lot of movement going on. It's, it's everything's quite yeah. It's very mm. subtle. It's very very efficient. So very fluid, um, often yeah. it's a matter of yeah doing. It's a matter of doing less sometimes. Um, less less movements. Um, and so yeah, just just trying to work towards that rather than trying to 
come over really fast, rip really hard. It's like, no, just quieten it down and it, it might actually be a bit easier and faster. So, at risk of you repeating the same core principles that you talk about very often and uh, if you want to know the core principles that the most common things people need to fix, you can go check out Brendan's 5-Day Catch Challenge. We highly recommend it. Um, but what other, what other things are you seeing as, as common patterns? Because uh, you could almost say that most triathletes are doing a bunch of the same thing wrong. So you're not, you're not going to get uh, many athletes that are outliers where and there'll be some athletes where they're doing something quite specific or quite unique to them. But majority of us are doing the same thing. So, so what else is there um, is there to look for in terms of common patterns that are really going to help create some big changes? I've been looking a bit into the breath timing lately. Um, I've been doing a bit of work with a guy, Brant Best, who was – he coached James Magnuson to two world titles in the uh, 50, 100 freestyle uh, a couple of years ago. And so I was talking with him and he's worked with elite swimmers for, for a number of years and he's sort of heavily into the swim scene. And one of the things that he said he always looks for is breath timing. So started to look at that a bit and um, it's it comes up quite a bit actually with, with a lot of triathletes. So breath timing as in uh, many people will breathe too late in freestyle and too, and too late basically means that if you're going through your catch, if you finish your catch on one arm, let's say it's your right arm, and you're breathing to the left, if your head's still out of the water and it's not back down by the time you're in that catch, your breath timing's probably too late. So if you go through any footage of, of good swimmers in slow motion, you'll see their head is pretty much back down after a breath by the time they've finished their catch or just, just past it. Because if your head's still off to the side at that point, well, your hips and your shoulders are probably off to the side and you're not going to get that connection from your catch to your, your body because there's this disconnect through that, through that chain. So, um, I've been looking at that quite a bit. So, a good way to think of um, when you should get the breath is pull yourself into the breath. So, if you breathe into the left-hand side, as your left hand is pulling through and it's coming underneath your shoulder, that's when you want to start to turn your head. And that way you can get your mouth and out of the water by the time your hand is still finishing that stroke out the back, then you've got enough time to get the breath and bring it back down with that, with that catch arm. So to keep it simple, you basically want to try and get your head back down by the time you finish your catch. And not a whole lot of swimmers do that. And you can actually, if you, if you go through footage, someone swimming slow motion, you kind of see like, yeah, you can see that point where they're disconnected and if their head's off to the side, it's not until they get their head back down where you see this like nice drive and, and connection through the water. Um, and often for many people, it's only like 15, 20 centimeters out the back because that timing is is off quite a bit. So, I think that breath timing is a, a really good one to, to start with. So, pull yourself into the breath is quite a good cue to, to use if, if you're not sure whether or not you're, you're turning your head at the right time. And that, that raises another issue on exactly the timing of the breathing is if you're in the open water, you're still having to sight and, and timing that sight every, you know, so often and, and getting the head in the right position uh, so that you're not, you know, ending up with your head out of the water for, you know, incredibly long period of time every 10 strokes. Yeah, the, the sight, it's really interesting. I was working with a guy who qualified for uh, world champs just gone and he said oh look my swim times have come down it's going really well but my open water times they're just they've stagnated it's a, it's a pretty 
pretty common one, like where you'll get, you might get the results in the pool, but it doesn't translate to open water. And one of the first things that we look at there is well, how's your siding? Like, are you sewing yourself down because of how you site? And there's a lot of triathletes that are just lifting their head up for a few strokes and then bringing it back down. They're not using the sight and breathe method, which I think is just, it's just so much easier and it keeps the rhythm of your stroke where you don't have to to break your rhythm. You don't need to swim for several strokes with your head up. It's just a, a quick look forwards, kind of like crocodile eyes. And then on the next stroke, you turn to the side and breathe. Um, and, and just look up sight and breathe, effortless swimming. There's a video on YouTube if you're, if you're wondering what that is, if you're listening. And that can just be so much easier. And that, that might save you five seconds per hundred might even be more if um, if your sighting's a struggle. And it's so easy to practice that stuff in the pool. You can just throw in one or two sights every 50 meters if you if, if you do need to practice it leading, leading up to a race. But it's one of the uh, things that, yeah, many people I, I, I think don't know what they do with their sighting. They just look forwards. But, uh, yeah, if, if you can change it to sight and breathe, at least most of the time, it's uh, it's just such an easier way to go about it. If you're coaching just a triathlon group, would you put that into the program? Okay, we're going to do 10 by 50 and we're going to sight breathe at, at 25 if it's a 50-meter pool, obviously, but uh, or maybe at 12, at 25 and at, at uh, whatever the next 34 or whatever whatever the next section is. Would you do that in the, in the program? Yeah, I think it's – yeah, like especially leading up to race season. Um, yeah, you might do it a little bit in I – mean, you can do it whenever, obviously, but definitely – eight to 10 weeks leading into the start of the season would be a good time to start practicing it like that. And some, some pack swimming, just as replicate the stuff in the open water, which is, you know, is difficult to do uh, when most squads probably aren't doing any open water sessions, but just if you can replicate that stuff in your, in your pool session, even wearing a wetsuit to get used to that at the start of the season, it's, um, it's just so beneficial because open water can feel like a different sport sometimes to, to swimming in the pool. So if you can just get used to it as best you can, uh, it's, yeah, it's, it's very useful. And, um, have you, what have you seen with the, with your athletes with that kind of thing? Are you adding in some siding and some open water stuff? We this is something that we've spoken about, uh, and we we really wanted to know from you because we haven't put uh, specific sighting drills in really any of our programming. But I was saying to Dad, the fact is that uh, all of your racing is sighting. So uh, should we not be actually doing sighting as part of our natural stroke every single training session, not just doing it in the lead up to the race? You know, should every single one of our pool swims? Should we just be practicing our stroke with sighting? Because I personally notice that my stroke changes once I start sighting out in the open water. Um, so, what's the point of practicing my stroke one way in the pool then doing something different out in the open water? So, I'd love to know your thoughts on that and whether it's something that you should just be doing all the time. Yeah, I. It's. Uh, I mean, for, I think there's there's two sides of it. One is it's good. To, it can be good to practice every session, but you you probably don't want to be practicing it. Uh, throughout the whole session because I, I think a, a part of it is when you're not sighting, it's easier just to get into the rhythm and flow of things and, and work on that that fitness and endurance and, and swim strength. Um, but it's a good skill to be, pardon me, be able to, um, yeah, to, to do at least, you know, maybe you do a little bit in the, in the warm-up even for if it's half your sessions just to, um, just to get used to it. And I know when I take time out of the open water, which has been been a bit over the last few years. It's like it, it takes a little while to get used to it again. So um, I think it's a good one to to include at least at least for some of your session every now and then. 
So, uh, on the breathing topic, and I'm really glad we're talking about this, uh, one thing that I uh, feel like for myself and other athletes struggle to translate with is when you're doing breathing drills, for example, uh, or stroke drills where you're using a snorkel, um, again, you're really practicing good technique with the snorkel, but then once you take the snorkel away and add the breath back in, the technique uh, goes out of the way. So, how do you get this balance of you know doing the drills, which we know are so effective, using the snorkel and then... Um, managing to uh, keep your stroke the same uh, once that goes away. Yeah, it's uh, in, in our clinics we use fins and snorkel for the majority of it, and so often people are swimming really well, they're feeling really good at the end of those drills, and then as soon as they take the fins off, they take the snorkel off. It's like okay, I'm sort of back to back to where I, I was. So it certainly takes time to be able to. To, to transfer those skills across but they are they are really good tools to use because obviously the snorkel takes out the breathing so you can just focus on what your arms are doing you can focus on your head and your body position uh, and so just kind of and we recommend doing drills in, in primarily in your warm-up just starting to maybe wean off it over the course of a few weeks or a few months so maybe you do half your drills with some equipment on maybe half of it without. So just start to, to take the equipment away. But I think it's also good just for most people to practice the correct breathing as in turn to the side, don't lift your head up too high. So just breathing to the, the side rather than lifting too high, looking behind them and being able to do that quite quickly rather than lingering off to the side with the head, which is a fairly common one. So we've a drill I've given quite a few swimmers recently just to help get used to that is kicking with fins on, holding a kickboard in one arm or with one arm and having your other arm by the side and you just kick face down in the water and then you turn to the side and breathe and and you try and do that quite quickly and just get used to that sort of breathing because if you can get it fairly fairly fast you feel comfortable with it then it's going to be much easier to do when you when you swim whereas for many people it's kind of like a a big gasp of air or it's a big turn of the head it's just like make it make it look like you're hardly you're hardly even turning to breathe. Like someone would hardly recognize that you're, you're getting it and then it's going to be much easier in your, in your swim stroke. We're definitely uh, in agreement with all of you said, what you've said so far. Um, just, can you just talk to the listeners a little bit about the importance of the drills? And I feel as a coach that I'm getting kind of some resistance about it and, and not seeing the value in it. And I do have a lot of uh, swimmers who've come from squad swimming as a junior who were doing lots of drills in their training and the common comment I get is, oh, I don't want to do drills. I've done that my whole life. You know, I just want to swim. I just want to get fitter in the pool. Um, but, you know, we've had many, many examples of people who've uh, watched your videos uh, and put those videos uh, into practice in their in their sessions and they have improved incredibly. Um, so can you just talk to our listeners about where you think the drill sits in the scheme of your, of your swim program. Well, I coached a master's squad for eight years while I was sort of starting effortless swimming. And most of those master's swimmers were, uh, had come from competitive, a competitive swimming background. Many of them were pretty good as, as juniors, as, as teenagers. And, uh, and I got a fair bit of pushback from, from them as well. So I, I and probably I get it less so from, triathletes or people who are new to new to swimming and i think it, it's partly because they're just like they did drills as part of their squad there was no explanation of how to do them properly why they're important and what they're actually focusing on so to them it's just like well it's it's like what's the point of, of doing that if if there's no actual reason reasoning behind it so the first thing that 
people need to get clear on is how do I actually do the drill properly? And there can be quite a bit, even to a simple drill like sidekick. You know, most most people do sidekick wrong, and so if there's an, an explanation of okay, how, do, how what do I need to do to do it right, and and what's the purpose behind it, and and why does that actually relate to something that I'm trying to improve? Well, then you'll get a lot more more buy-in, I think, to it. So um, yeah, it's just a lack of um, understanding in in many cases, and I, I think it, it doesn't need to be a lot because to change habits, and there's a great book which you you may have read, Atomic Habits, which talks about how you can Basically, if you're looking at a goal that you want to achieve in 12 months, rather than trying to break that down into, okay, well, in 12 months, I want to get 10 seconds faster. So in six months, I need to be five seconds faster. Well, no, if you break it just down into what are the actual things that I need to do on a daily or weekly basis to get there, uh, then that's a much better way of thinking about it. And so a good thing to do in, instead of just like thinking I need to get five seconds faster in six months is, okay, if I need, I need to improve my technique in some way, so I need to do a couple of drills just in my warm-up each session and it's that frequency that will get me there, not the time spent doing drills. So three hours of drills isn't as good as like five minutes of drills three times a week. It's, it's that frequency that will actually change those, those habits for people. So, yeah, it doesn't need to be a, a whole lot. And I think sometimes people are burnt out on drills because they've done so much for so long, whereas, um, yeah, it doesn't need to be a, a huge amount of them. We know that you're a big advocate for it because you have such a wealthy library worth of drills, which uh, you've graciously, you know, partnered with us and allowed our Trabello athletes to use, um, which has, has made a massive difference. And uh, I guess, Dad, you really want to get the point the point across that uh, you are absolutely not saying that everything has to be drill focused and um, that it has to be a boring swim session in that regard. Uh, but you want to get the point across, and uh, I guess you'd want to see if Brenton agreed uh, that. You need to be spending adequate time. That's a really brilliant point, uh, as well as adequate frequency. Um, that's what you're trying to say, right, Dad? Exactly, and I think Brenton's answered it. Uh, and we, you know, if it's good enough for guys who are who are winning events to do drills, then you know the majority of us are not in that uh, standard, and therefore it's 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 so much more important that we do that. If it's you know if it's good enough for Olympic champions to do drills, well, the everyday swimmer should be doing drills. And the um I find people often get to that point where they've they've worked, they've trained, they've worked as hard as they can in the in the pool. They've got their fitness up, and then they hit that that block where it's like, okay, now it's my technique that's that's holding holding me up. And so that's the point where then there might be more of a buy in with uh, with the with the drills. But um, why not just avoid? that and work on your technique as you're going because you're going to be at the pool anyway and if you include it as part of your warm-up well you're not really it's not additional time that you're having to to spend it's just it can be part of the the warm-up where rather than 850s of swim it might be 850s of 25 drill 25 swim so it's nothing necessarily extra that you've got to do it's just a part of what you're you're doing and um it's unlikely that it's going to work against you it's unlikely it's going to make you slower so um why not give it a shot that's a really good point that you've made is, you know, you can get as fit as you like in the pool and in the open water swimming, but if you leave your technique as it is, you're going to uh, stay the same almost, aren't you? You're, you're probably not going to progress unless you do something more about your technique because unlike riding and running, there is a, a small percentage of technique in, in those sports, um, but swimming, it's a skill acquisition which needs to be learnt and 
incorrect practice will only reinforce the same speed. Um, uh, you know, you get your fitness level to a point and then you need to change something about your technique to actually get, allow you to go faster. And if you don't do that, you, you know, like we talked about last time as a golfer, he goes and practices eight hours on, on the, the driving range and he's got a massive hook. If he doesn't actually change the swing to get rid of the hook, he's going to keep hooking on his match days. Um, and it, that's kind of frustrating to, to see that people don't grasp that concept that great to be fit in the water, but you won't go faster unless you change something about the way you're swimming to allow you to actually be faster. And, and you, you'll hear it more from the elite level swimmers, like your Olympic swimmers, you'll hear it more from them about technique. They're always thinking about it and they're just looking for 0.1 of a percent change. And there's a good video from Caleb Dressel recently, who's the fastest 1500 freestyle in the world at the moment. And he's just, he's so attuned and so switched on to how his stroke is feeling. And he's just trying to find ways to, to improve his technique. And that's in a, in an event that lasts 21 seconds, like it's just for him, it's just so important. And uh, yeah. And, and like people think, you know, you can just swim fast and you're always going to be like that. But these guys are just even more um, dialed into that, that stuff, not, not less than, than your average person. Water biomechanics. I mean, is, I mean, what's the, what's the word? It's not, it's not aerodynamics in the water, but what's the, um, Hydrodynamics. Hydrodynamics, maybe. And uh, that, it's so complex. Um, you know, you think about how complex aerodynamics is on the bike and how much testing goes into it. Uh, and, and Brenton, we were talking about surfing off air, which we both love. And uh, in that sport, there is just so much going into shapes of boards and shapes of fins and, and how that affects the water. And uh, the resistance against the water is so complex because uh, especially out in the open, open water, the water is always changing. And so you can see how important this is to try and get that right and why the professional swimmers, obviously in a, in a pool environment, it's a bit more controlled, but they are looking for those minute changes that can give them that 0.1 or 0.2 um, because through the water, every single movement that you're doing will either uh, increase that uh, fluidity that you have or decrease it and create more resistance and what you always speak about, more drag. And uh, you've really got to pay attention to that because you're either making it harder for yourself or easier for yourself. They did. There's a... Uh, coaching organization in the States called the race club, which is run by a guy called Gary Hall senior and he's ex ex Olympian. Uh, and I think Olympic coach and he, they did this test where they've got a machine that will basically pull you along and they can also measure the, um, the, the drag that's created at the same time. And they did this, this test where they had a swimmer going to streamline position with their toes pointed. So just your traditional classic you know, streamline off the wall. They tested that. Then they did the same thing and they got the swimmer to point their toes to the bottom of the pool. So like if you had really stiff ankles, terrible ankle flexibility, um, that's how you'd probably be kicking. And they found that there was 41% more drag, more frontal drag created from just the feet or the toes pointing down, um, nothing else. And it's like that is a, that's a huge amount more, more drag from just the, the toes pointed down. So um, you can see there how just these minute changes can really start to to make a difference particularly if it is reducing drag which is kind of the first thing we want to want to look at before we move on to the propulsive part which is the catch in the pool so on that note something i'd love to uh, get your thoughts on is when you go to the pool it is you can see the difference in buoyancy 
between swimmers and the, the the whoever's on top of the water is just it's just flying along and the people that are sinking a little bit and creating more drag and it's often the 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 more mus- muscular men compared to the uh, potentially uh, lighter children or uh, even you know people with more body fat tend to be more buoyant and that's that's the case with wetsuits as well so how can you fix that buoyancy and how can you get yourself higher in the water there's certainly a difference between people where where some people are naturally they'll sink more so there's no there's no denying that there's a difference there um, and I mean even myself I've I've got heavy legs in the water uh, I can't I can't get myself to float uh, in the water where everything's up at the the surface um, but it's not a reason why it's not an excuses to um, why you can't swim faster there's ways kind of around it so I think the first thing is how you hold your body if you're if there's no tautness through the body then you're just going to to sink and the other the other flip side of that too is if, when you're relaxed you actually float better uh, whereas if you're really tense well then you're going to sink like a, a rock so first of all you got to you've, you've got to relax uh, if, if you've got that natural uh, fear or panic when you're in the water then we'd, we'd probably want to start there so you can relax but then once you are relaxed we need to add this little bit of tautness through the body so that's keeping your chain from your head all the way down to your toes uh somewhat taut and, and rigid in a way where it's not like this wet noodle going through there and so we talk about this as tall and proud posture brace your core like someone was going to hit you lightly you'd, you'd switch that on and you also sort of need to squeeze your butt cheeks together a little bit so engage your glutes uh, slightly and and that way you've got this this tautness through here whereas then when you're lying face down in the water you can put a little bit of downwards pressure through your chest because your lungs are where your buoyancy is so you can apply a little bit of downwards pressure there to push down and that's going to help bring the the back half up and it's a very fine line uh, between you know going too much and not enough kind of like the other stuff that we've talked about there's that sweet spot but that's how most people can find that that balance. So a good way to perhaps start with that would be just a front kick drill with both arms out in front of you. So hands are directly out in front. You've got a snorkel on, no fins, and just kick really lightly and play around with those couple of things and see if you can get your head, hips, and heels at the surface uh, playing around with those, those couple of things. And if you can get that there, well, then you can start to implement that into your, your actual swim stroke and, and maintain that balance. Should you're talking about this buoyancy factor and the, there's a really good point you said your head, hips and ankles sort of trying to be out of the um, out of under underneath the water. Is there any point where your head should be submerged and is it a, is it an advantage to get your head uh, not on an angle but in the same line as you're talking about the tautness, but to get that head lower is that going to help with bringing your feet up or is that not actually happening uh yeah to a certain to a certain point i think too many people think that the only way to get my legs up is it's all about head position so i've seen people burying their heads underneath where like 10 centimeters below the surface of the water and they're swimming almost underwater and it's really hard to get a breath from under the water Uh, so as long as you've got your head in the right position and you'll see most good swimmers have actually got just the top part of their head um, actually out of the water and they're looking either straight down but usually just slightly forwards. For most people, that's that's more comfortable, that's that's easy. So as long as you've got that there, then you know more times it comes down to the stuff that I've just 
just mentioned. So head position certainly plays a part and many people do look too far forwards with their, their chin forwards. But if they've got it got it right, then it's probably probably something else. So, um, but you don't, yeah, you don't want to swim with your head completely submerged because it's just you've either got to lift up really high to kind of breathe, or you've got to turn really far to to breathe. So, um, I've seen some coaches talk about get your head all the way under, but it's just I find it quite awkward for most most people, and you don't really see that at the at the top level. When we're talking about uh, the the tech, technical side of swimming. And I want to relate this a little bit to the fitness side. So we, there's no denying, no one's disputing. You need to be fit in the water. Um, if you're a triathlete or if you're just a, you know uh, an endurance racing swimmer, you just need to have really good fitness. No different to a runner or a bike rider. Um, but at the at what we're really asking here is in the training sessions, should you be combining both the endurance and the speed work at when you're possibly going to swim with poorer technique as you get tighter, say you're doing sets of four by 500 meters and after 200 meters of every 500, your stroke goes back to its old stroke because you're not fit enough to hold the stroke. Are you better off whilst you're learning the new technique for your stroke, just doing shorter intervals all the time so you can hold the correct form? What's your thoughts on that? Yeah, there's... There's an argument for both of shorter versus longer, and I think you know most people are going to do do both somewhere along the along the line. And I think it's when you're changing your technique, you'll usually break down a little bit earlier, and you won't be able to maintain it throughout a, you know, the whole session. So those short intervals can be really good to to hold form, and um, yeah, whether it's twenty fives or fifties or or hundreds, just taking that five or ten seconds rest after each one gives you that reset. And that pause to then go, okay, yep, I can give my muscles a bit of a rest and then I can go again and I can maintain that new technique or better technique. So I think it's a, a really good approach uh, as, as you're changing your, your technique there. It's also good, I think, to get to that point where you've like you're breaking, you're starting to break down, you're starting to break down and maybe you're, you, you hit that point and it gets a little bit messy, but you don't want to be training that too much. You don't like, you don't want to just be doing that for half a session because well, obviously it's training, training bad form and um, yeah, you're better off just taking a, a bit of a rest and then, then starting again. So like, I'm a big fan of, of both and I'm a, uh, like, I think for many people, some longer intervals can be great, especially if they're doing half full distance Ironman. Um, it's re- it's really important, but that said, if it's just getting sloppy and they're practicing the wrong thing, well, maybe you're better off actually just shortening it. And you, I mean, you do get a bit of resistance from people who, maybe haven't grown up around the pool. They don't know what a, what a good swim set looks like. Whereas, yeah, it is okay to do hundreds and two hundreds um, rather than just like a straight 1000 for your whole session. It's actually preferred to, to break it up. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I'm sure you've, yeah, you've, you've seen that with, with people and just educating them on what a, what a typical swimmer would, would do. It's um, very rarely much more than a 200 or a 400, you know, for, for most of them. Something we like to uh, think about and try and manipulate is the rest times though because obviously the shorter rest periods that you can have in between uh, the more potential fitness gain uh, you're forced to uh, create Um, but at the same time you don't want the rest to be so short that you're actually not recovering properly and therefore your technique is continuing to be sloppy. So, 
Uh, what are your thoughts on optimal rest periods for especially if you're starting to do long intervals like hundreds, two hundreds, four up to four hundred, five hundred? Yeah, it depends on the um, on the effort that you're that you're you're putting in in the type of set that you're you're looking to do. But um, yeah, like for w- when we're doing a more aerobic based set, those rest intervals are reasonably short. It might be like five or ten seconds for a hundred, might be. 15 to 20 seconds for a for a 200 and uh, you know, maybe tw- maybe 20 to 30 for like a uh, for a 400 um, but again just depends on the the effort you, that you that you're doing and, and what you're trying to get out of the get out of the set but I think most people seem to I'd say most triathletes don't like resting too much because they're thinking their thought is I'm losing my fitness I'm going to lose the the gain from this set so um, just from my experience I think they they can give themselves more rest than what they're giving themselves just yeah from what what I've seen what what do you guys find there yeah I look I agree with what you're saying there and and just so the listeners are clear if if you're swimming at a lower intensity then what you're saying Brenton is that the rest should be short but if you start to swim with I know you were asking you to swim at threshold or, or faster than threshold, then you need to give yourself more rest. And and five or ten seconds over a four hundred, if you're doing four by four hundreds, you're not going to be adequately. If you're asked to swim at race pace, you're going to be struggling to repeat the efforts. You need, you know, thirty to to a minute. Would you agree with that? Yeah, yeah, that's right. And um, I mean, I was talking to uh, who was it? Dave, Dave Tilbury Davis, who's a Try coach. He was. He. I think he got this. I can't remember which coach he got it from, but he was saying like a good test set is uh, seven. I think seven one hundreds with five, like race effort with five seconds rest in between. And he said like most people will blow up around three or four, maybe five one hundreds. And if you can sustain that for seven at race pace, well, that's like that's a, a, a good sign that you're, you're really fit. And so that's only seven, seven one hundreds with a short amount of rest. So yes, I think, yeah, most people, they, they need that, they need that more, um, more rest than, than less, especially if they're putting the effort in and yeah, just go, most people aren't, they, they think they're just losing that fitness gain as a result of, um, just staying at the wall. But yeah, you got to let that heart rate come down, especially if, if you're doing any sorts of sprints or, you know, above race effort stuff. And if you took the principle and related it back to uh, cycling or running, for example, uh, you wouldn't do uh, some big cycling or running efforts and give yourself such a short break that the rest of the efforts becomes too sloppy. It's just not. It's just not the case. Um, whereas it, it can, and this brings me to kind of the next point. It, it can uh, happen in swimming a lot. Uh, and in swimming, there seems to be this culture of. Uh, just more volume is better and more grinding is better and more time in the pool is better and it's just uh, how can I get a maximum amount of volume? Uh, what, are your, what are your thoughts on that? And you touched on frequency before um, with, you know, you need the more frequently you can practice drills, especially with technique, the better it's going to be rather than more time in one session. So what are your thoughts on you know, frequency of actually swimming and total volume throughout the week and this culture of uh, you know, really trying to do more? Yeah, there's always a, a, a balance between the two sessions minimum three for most people I, i've just seen people who have gone from two sessions a week up to three they've seen a big difference and then four four can be great as well it just depends on how much time the person's got but minimum three is what i'd, I'd suggest for most people and you will see a difference if you're coming from two and yeah just the the volume like a, i mean even even 
not so much now, but I, I certainly a couple of years ago, I had in my head, you know, if, if I'm not doing at least 3K or, or 4K, and for some people, it might even be like 5K. It's like, if I'm not doing that, well, I'm wasting my time. But uh, there's just so much that can go into a swim session rather than just the distance. That's a small component of an actual swim session. And, and the distance that you do isn't, it doesn't uh, dictate what you've actually got from that that session it's just a, it's a small component of it so i think there's you know, part of that is good and some people will, will definitely improve by doing more but i think better quality is the way to go especially for a, a, a sport that's so technically important uh, important as swimming where yeah the, the, the quality of your session uh, will actually make a, a bigger difference than just getting more more volume done uh, so yeah that's, that's kind of my my view on it I find it a little bit ironic that uh, we like exactly what you just said, that with a sport that's so focused uh, on technique, um, you would assume that quality of session is more important, yet the sports culture, and I'm not, I'm not hating on swimming here, I just find it so fascinating that the sports culture is so much about quantity when the performance uh, basis of the sport is about quality. I just um, yeah, find that really ironic. There's a, a swimmer, uh, Michael Andrew, and he's a US Olympian. Uh, he's, since he was about 12 or 13, he's, he's done this thing called USRPT, which is uh, ultra short race pace training. It was developed by, I can't remember his name, he developed by a coach and he kind of wrote out the protocols protocols for it. And it's basically like you do a little bit of warm up, but then your session is like it's, it's 25s, more maybe maximum 50s and they're essentially all at race pace with a reasonable amount of rest in between and he's done this since he was 12 or 13 i think and he's probably 20 now and so there's this whole question around is like is this just how's this going to work especially compared to the the volume base of um most most programs it kind of went against the grain where it's like much shorter sessions and there's but there's no like just junk miles or anything it's all just race pace and he's like he's one of the best swimmers that the us has got at the moment and it's a case for doing something completely different and i think most programs are now sort of going a mix of the two some of this ultra short stuff and still doing the distance and depends on the thing you're training for. But uh, yeah, I think it's, 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 it's interesting to see someone do something completely different yet still yield the same, if not better results and less injuries and all that sort of stuff too. We talked about that uh, so many times uh, off air about far out. If someone who could just be a world leader in performance, do something different and then you watch everybody follow because that we've we've seen that with the, you know the classic example is the Norwegians what they're doing in triathlon at the moment is just you know it's leading the world in a different way of of training and and and, and what's what's that like how, how are they doing it differently? Yeah, it, it's it's a tough one to summarise, but in short, they are definitely paying more respect to lactate levels and staying out of. Uh, the middle junk gray area that we call it and they're doing a lot more in zone two and then a lot more at race race intensity and above um so they're staying out of that middle area where we would just you know everyday cyclists uh and runners um and i'm not sure about their swimming program but most of the time they're actually either doing a specific intensity session or they're trying to build their aerobic capacity and and there's they're keeping their by taking their blood lactate, they are making sure that they're not going in, sneaking above it. Um, would that be a good summary, Jordan? Yeah, and they're really 
the the way I see it, or try to summarize it, is they're optimizing their body so scientifically and uh, structurally for the race that they're training for. So by the time they they're getting into their kind of race ready phase, um, all their sessions um, are at their race pace. Um, not all their sessions, but their sessions are at their race pace or just at uh, just under that under that kind of threshold zone, um, and they are yeah really heavily lactate testing to make sure that they can handle that pace and their lactate is not going through the roof, and that allows them to be really confident on race day that they can hit these zones um, confidently, knowing they're not going to blow up. Um, and they they're even lactate testing in the pool, which is crazy. They're, they're finishing a rep, getting up out of the water, and he's pricking their ear, and um, it's pretty wild. And um, and they're doing something else in the pool uh, with like a some sort of um, I don't know biomechanical measure, which is just again just pretty revolutionary. But they're just doing all these things that are so so science based. They've got this whole team of sports scientists that are leading the way with every session, and um, it's so different to what most of the sports used to, which is just um, you know training hard and training consistently. And it's, it's a bit more vague in the, in the instructions. That's what we find so fascinating about it. Is there an easy way to do lactate testing for the average person or is it you know, not not that easy to do? In training, there's no point measuring your lactate unless you've got a proper test uh, to base it off. And to do that, you do need the help of a sports scientist or someone to you know, make sure that the test is valid, make sure that you've uh, done it properly, make sure the results are recorded properly, and then interpreting that data is really important as well. So, make sure you're interpreting that correctly. Once you've got all that, you could definitely uh, get your own lactate measure. You can buy home kits um, and do it yourself at home. But once again, they're, they're relevant for only really specific sessions and not everyone is doing those sessions in their block. So, um, if you're doing a hard VO2 max session, uh, you don't even worry about lactate because you're just going as hard as you can. But what the Norwegians are doing, they're doing so many of these sessions where they're for running, for example, they're doing you know three by thirty minute efforts, and they have to keep their lactate at a certain level for those those thirty minute uh, run or, or ride efforts. Um, and so that's where the difference is. Mm. Yeah. So uh, if you've got if you got a load of money and um, and lots of people around you, you could uh, <laughs> you can get the sports scientists into. Help you with your training. But the point, the point that yeah, we, we're alluding to is that uh, if someone has a breakthrough success, and um, you know, um, Christian Blumfeld won the Olympic uh, medal at, at the triathlon, and he's, two weeks ago he's just gone out and won the uh, the World Championships at Ironman. So he's not only uh, you know won an Olympic level, which is a completely different race to an Ironman, um, under the same training, and and they're setting a standard with with a slightly varied training method and that's what we're trying to say here is you know we've forever you know for people who are swimming at olympic level for 50s for hundreds for 200s um they're doing as you just said before 5k in the morning 5k in the afternoon seven days a week possibly you know and here we are you've just given us an example of someone who's not doing that and getting similar success which is uh which is a really great to see and you know there should be more of it yeah no i think a big a, a big sort of reason why i, I like the U, part of the usrpt stuff is that it's for many of the kids growing up swimming they don't enjoy the long the long kilometers some of them love it like i loved it as a kid i loved the longer stuff but I, I was an anomaly. I think maybe, you know, nine out of 10 kids probably just hate going up and down the pool. Whereas this, this shorter stuff, they're getting times every 25. It's very uh, specific. They know what time they need to do. They can see whether or not they're hitting those goals and it's not boring for them. So I think it, it's a good thing to keep kids in the sport. And then you've, you'll, you know, if you've got more kids in the sport, then you'll hopefully 
you know, see more success down the down the line for for the sport, but also just you know, more world records and that sort of thing. So yeah, I think it's it's, it's great to see people doing things differently, and um, and that's a, a good example of it. Even Emma McKean at the Olympics, she had an amazing Olympics. She ended up um, reducing her swim sessions from like eight down to four or five and instead of swim eight swim sessions she was doing more gym work and she just was she was so strong she was so fit and she was just on fire and it worked incredibly well for her and you know she's getting getting a little bit older and for her it was just she needed that strength but she didn't need the swimming as much and so it's um yeah it's good to see people mix it up and have good results Last question from us, last topic we wanted to touch on is that for a lot of uh, triathletes, uh, especially here, uh, the summer season is finished and they've got a decent break till their next race. There are definitely some races that they can do uh, over this period, but some might not have another race for another three to six months that they're looking forward to. So how do you approach an off-season in terms of swimming? Uh, How do you change things up, uh, maybe to freshen things up or to give a bit of variety or a bit more enjoyment? What are your thoughts on on an off-season for swimmers? I think first of all, sitting down and just analyzing the last season can be helpful. So just pen and paper, what worked, what did I like, where are the gaps or the holes in in what I'm doing and just using pen and paper and, and putting your phone in a different room. I know for me, if I'm like sitting there with my phone there, I'll, I'll be there for five minutes and get distracted. So uh, I, I think looking at, at at that and just just writing for, for 20 or 30 minutes and, and just seeing what opportunities might be in front of you for the next season. And then at the pool, you know, it's, there's no pressure to perform. There's no pressure to sort of do anything. And when when it's like that, it's much easier to enjoy being in the pool. So I, I quite like just wearing fins for most of my sessions, feeling very relaxed, trying some new things, um, doing some uh, a few different drills and just, just enjoy the feeling of being in the water. And when you're in that state of mind, or that zone in, in the pool, you tend to swim better, you tend to improve. And if there's anything that you learn or figure out during that time where you're, where you're doing that, then you might be able to carry that into your, into your season. So um, I, I think a time where there's no pressure or, or reliance on doing a certain set or certain times is, is a good time to just mix things up and try, try different things. So that's where I think you can start to have more, maybe more of a technical focus and, and it's okay to try different things because you're not going to harm your race that might be in nine or nine or 12 months time. We couldn't agree with that anymore. I don't think that's exactly what we would like to see in the off season. It's the same advice we offer um, for uh, swimming, riding and running, uh, just taking that bit of pressure off from a, from a structured program. Anything else from you, Dad, before we finish off? No, as usual, uh, Brenton's given us some really good things to consider and to uh, implement into our, into our thought process. And, and look, we, we don't talk a little, a lot about, uh, um, the the mental side of swimming and the only other question I really wanted to ask was I do get a lot of uh, swimmers asking me how to overcome the anxiety on race day. Um, they're surrounded by, you know, if possibly you know a thousand people around them in the water swimming over them, around them, bumping into them. A lot of you know a lot of them have this anxiety and fear of of the unknown, I suppose. What advice would you give those swimmers who are who are experiencing that? And it's not a minority. It's it's. I would have fifty percent of the people I coach who are you know, in one form or another very worried about the swim leg of the of the triathlon. 
Mm. So aside from getting used to being around others in the pool, if you have that opportunity, which is if you're not swimming in a squat or not, it can be hard, but that just getting the practice with others around is good just to build up the, the comfortability in the water. But that aside, I think <clears throat> just start, control your breathing at the start line would be the, would be the first thing. And because your breathing is the only part of your autonomic nervous system that you can actually control. So for me, if I'm at the start line, I'm, breathing through my nose, I'm going five seconds in, five seconds out. I'm just calming myself down and trying to keep the heart rate low in the beginning. And also, if you can do a pre-race warm-up, even if it's 200 strokes, yeah, just a pre-race warm-up will help you get more comfortable because if you haven't got your heart rate up before the race, then you sort of realize, you notice this whether you're going out for a run or swimming is it's like you haven't sort of opened up your your blood vessels enough where if you just, if your heart rate goes up, you kind of feel this like, it's like really, you feel like you just run out of energy. So if you can get your heart rate up a bit before the race, then um, that can overcome some of it. And the other side of things is um, don't be a victim going into the, into the race. So you don't want to be aggressive with other people, obviously, but don't take the the victim role where you're just at the whims of what everyone else is is doing. You want to be the one out there who's who's in control, or else other people are going to take you over. And and people aren't out there to try and swim over you. The fastest point from here to there is not swing over the top of someone. People are going to try and go around you and, and avoid you, but obviously it doesn't happen all the time. So um, if you if you just try and take that. Um, you know, to take that role where you're in charge and um, and just and do your thing. Maybe you've got to start off to the side if that makes you more comfortable. Um, that's okay as well. Or maybe you wait five seconds and let those people go if, it, if it's a real issue for you. Um, then you know, you're not probably going to lose time if you let people go for five or ten seconds and you just swim your own swim your own race. So there's strategies and tactics you can you can use there to make it uh, a bit easier on yourself. And one of the things that I often tell each of the swimmers who really are struggling is it's okay to look up and give yourself five or 10 seconds. And I've even said, roll over on your back, relax, take some breaths. You've lost 10 seconds, roll back over and just take that anxiety focus away from it to to think that, right, I I can control this myself. If I'm, you know, overwhelmed and, and, and not breathing properly, it's going to continue and get worse and you're going to actually swim worse. You're better off giving yourself 10 seconds every, and I've told them to do 10 seconds every 400. Just, you know, I'll just swim for 400 and I'm, I'm, I deserve a little rest to have. And, and as you do each event, you will actually get better and better at that and as you practice that in training. So I know that's not helpful to your overall time by doing a 10-second break, but, but if it means you can actually get, get the focus away from you know the anxiety factor it's got to be helpful mm. it's like walking through aid stations in a in a an iron man it's like give yourself that little bit of a you know downtime and yeah it's going to add some time on but maybe it'll actually be be better for you in the beginning and i had a swimmer who did her first triathlon a couple of weeks ago and um she said like similar thing happened she um, panicked at the start and was doing a bit of breaststroke and like her time was was quite slow because there was that that panic and it was her first race and you know even no matter what advice you have in that first one people are going to make those mistakes anyway it's just it's that rush of and excitement of the first triathlon so just um yeah it's, it's just build on that experience each each time and, and adjust as you go because i don't know anyone who's now their 
their first open water swim and gone, yeah, that was easy. That was great. And boy, did I do a good time. <laughs> That's a brilliant way to finish. Great advice from you both. Thank you very much, Brenton, for joining us. Uh, if you want to find uh, where he is, it's Effortless Swimming on any of the social medias, Instagram, Facebook, or YouTube. Uh, as we said earlier, he's got a brilliant five-day catch challenge that you can start. You've also got, Brenton, a uh, new eight-week course that you've built out. Is that correct? Yeah, which um, similar sort of structure, but we focus on all the other parts of the of the stroke. So um, yeah, I'd say do the catch challenge first, um, and then move on to the eight week course afterwards. As always, make sure you uh, like this video wherever you're watching it, or if you're listening to the audio, make sure you subscribe. Subscribe anywhere you are listening or watching this. It really does help us. Brenton, thank you very much again for joining us. Thanks for having me. Enjoyed it. Thanks, guys. That's it for this episode, and we'll see you next time. 